On this week's episode, we Earthshake along with the Lamb Before Time. Are all sharp teeth serial killers? Is this movie just Dino Bambi? And is Littlefoot too blah to even be the main character? Find out you're listening to Evan's birthday episode of 24 Flames Per Second. Alright, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of 24 Flames Per Seconds, the podcast that roasts the films we love the most. And this week, uh, as always, I'm your host, Robert Spiewak, and welcome to the show. Uh, this week, uh, talking about films we love the most, it's uh, we're, we're, we're broadening our horizons, as you heard last week, and we're letting the gates swing wide open for birthday episodes this season. Um, and so, a lot of familiar voices, faces that you've heard. Um, on the show over the past couple of years, uh, or some of them are getting birthday episodes as re- as requested. We're giving new to what we're giving the farm away this year, um, and so uh, yeah, everybody. We're um, that being said, we're gonna uh, jump into the show. But before we do that, we have to think about everywhere we've come from: lizards, uh, amoebas, um, primordial soups, and oozes. Uh, your various um, cell cellular uh, development and uh, microorganisms think about it and we're talking about the land before time so if you can you know it's kind of like uh the title itself is very appropriate for quarantine you know this is back when they didn't know what time it was or when their days were ending or starting and look at us now here we are again um everything comes full circle it's the land before time and um kind of funny that we're celebrating a birthday episode at the same time but uh whatever who cares um and so, yeah, everybody, welcome, uh, welcome to the show this week. We're gonna we're gonna jump right in. We'll introduce the birthday person when we get to them. And we can keep a secret until we get around the panel introducing people. Um, but uh, but yeah, everybody, we're uh, gonna gonna jump right on in and take a trip back to before time, as I already said. I already talked about this. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, everybody, let's uh, we'll start with across the. Um, I don't know. Great Earthshake chasm from me this uh, this week. The ducky to my spike, Casey Rom. No, I'm roasting. That is, oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) Wait, am I roasting? (laughs) The other, the other ducky to my spike, Chris Pepper Hambrick. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. You should have said nope, nope, nope when I. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Really nope, missed nope. an opportunity. Yeah, I, I honestly, it. I I was thinking through how threatened I am by non-hosts getting birthday episodes. Now I'm not really sure what incentive I have anymore. <laughs> now we're giving away. We're giving away even the even when you sign up to co-host something. It's like what um, works. Anyways. Anyways, yeah. I'll get over it. Is Chris Pepper Hamrick? Hey, what's up? <laughs> uh not much uh, how are you doing i'm doing good thank you kind of regretting getting 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 rid of the spike puppet i had the <gasps> coveted um pizza hut original yes. issue uh i had one of those puppets and if you weren't there you do not know how in demand these things were people uh-huh. would beg their parents to go to Pizza Hut to get one of these little like rubber hand puppets. I did a quick Google and they look great. They're pretty great. Um, 
but literally everyone I've mentioned, like hosting this um, podcast to is like, has mentioned the puppets first. Wow. Like, the people who were there know. <laughs> yeah. If you were there, you know, if you were there, you know, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, the spike puppet looks great too. They look, they look great. I they're, they're actually <laughs> quite detailed. Um, yeah. They were difficult to move though. The rubber was a little bit. It's the, thick. it's the bathtub proof rubber. Exactly. Okay. So you couldn't really do a whole lot of articulation with them, but they looked yeah. really good. Yeah. Mm. So who, who even cares? Right. Um, but anyways, yeah, I'm like nostalgia trip right now over these things. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but yeah, regardless of puppets, did you, if you still got puppets or not, did you watch the movie this week? I actually did. And it's oh. the first time I've seen it since it came out. Wow. So that was really cool to kind of see like what my like nine year old brain. Well, obviously my brain's older now, but what I had retained <laughs> from like my nine year old viewing of this movie. Yeah. Um, Speaking of, uh, what do you know about it? What did, what ha- what did you retain slash what did, what do you learn since? Yeah, um, so there's there's some pretty interesting trivia. Um, it's a Don Bluth film. Um, my uh, my my favorite's always been All Dogs Go to Heaven, but mm. um, he actually recruited uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas to kind of like you know co-produce, advise on this one, mm-hmm. um, and so it was kind of a kind of a big deal. Uh, and it went through a couple different iterations. They originally had it patterned more after the Fantasia segment, um, Rite of Spring, and they weren't really going to have the dinosaurs talk. Um, but then they remembered they were making a movie for children and (laughs) maybe they should have some like, you know, talking and personalities to engage the the young (laughs) ones. Um, and, uh, then uh, it was very successful, went on to spawn 13 sequels, um, and a TV show, although uh, we should point out that the the original producers were not involved in the subsequent um, sequels. Yeah. So they do have a different flavor. They're all... I remember them being pretty crazily different. I remember there being songs and dance and... Uh, I don't know. None of those beautiful Don Bluth animations. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's good, that's good stuff. Is it is it weird that like my brain is the the viewer? I feel like the listeners are gonna remember the puppets is from is the only thing that's gonna stick in their brain from that whole explanation. Possibly, um, <laughs> I don't know. It just it it does seem to be really sticky because, like I said, a bunch of friends yeah. have mentioned them. Wow. Um, wow, wow, wow. Other maybe maybe this will help. So um, it's it's one of those uh, movie. It is not one of those animated movies with a star studded um, voice cast. Um, Mm -hmm. They got like voice actors, not um, famous actors with names. And uh, except the only one that I recognized was Pat Hingle, who did the um, the mostly the voiceover like Uh narrator stuff. But you might know him as Jim Gordon in the um, Tim Burton Batman films. Oh, Mm -hmm. interesting. Okay, yeah. The voice sounded familiar, for sure. Um, well, very good. Uh, I think now that we've got kind of the stage set, we can, uh, invite out all the players. Um, and so we'll start with introducing the panels and the roasters as always. Um, she's a co-producer of Seattle's the moth and a storyteller herself. You can find her on Twitter at Casey Rom. Now it's time for Casey Rom. Yes. This time you are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, how's it going? (laughs) It's, it's good. I, 
honestly, I'm really mad that I didn't say nope, 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 but I was so like taken aback that I couldn't <laughs> I do anything. I'm with you, Casey. We really, really missed that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a Man. disappointment. My like stress like sweat broke out immediately too. I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> how will I ever fix this?" Um. Well, anyways, it's great. It's great to have you here on the roasting panel. Thanks. Definitely, you are on the roasting panel. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, also on the roasting panel this week, uh, he's a teacher, and as you heard last week, he's a Godzilla expert. He's Ian Coleman. Hey, 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 hey. How's it? How's it going, man? Up. Oh, it's all right. Yeah, I'm. Uh... Uh, yep, still still a teacher on summer break, so trying to keep myself occupied during a pandemic. Definitely, uh, yeah, trying to plan out my birthday week, and it's hmm. sort of coming to the realization that like all the places I would like to go are closed, or just I can't go there in good conscience. So that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Well, I hope um, this episode we're recording this episode before your birthday episode, but it comes out after your birthday episode. So I hope. You felt very celebrated last week on the show. <laughs> I, I absolutely did. Um, yeah, no, I felt very honored being able to talk about something pretty cool. Yeah, um, and all that. Well, it's good, it's good to have you here. And all that being said, it's time to give some attention to our birthday boy this week. He's an actor, a dungeon master to the stars. Find him on Twitter, not Chris Evans. Evan Christopher, happy birthday much this is like my own forest of tree stars i'm so happy oh you're our, you are our tree star <laughs> like i gotta found my own great valley we're gonna eat you <laughs> <laughs> so you guys will be the the sharp teeth and i'll be the diplodocus then no we'll do the we'll do the little foot thing where we just kind of carry you around forever oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> um but anyways how's it going happy birthday how you feeling Oh, feeling great. This is one of my favorite movies of all time since I was a child. Um, Back when I was like back in the time of when it came out, um, Disney movies were like super overpriced. So it was really hard to be able to get them. And uh, Don Bluth films um, weren't as popular, but they were much cheaper. And so I kind of came up with Don Bluth films with American Tale, uh, Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, uh, We're Back, you know. Um, all coming up before we can, you know, we ended up getting Disney later on, but Don Bluth has been like a really big part of my life growing up wise. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, we're glad that we can, um, uh, have you defend it for your birthday episode on the show here. Um, and yeah, I think we're just gonna, we're gonna get right into it. Uh, and you know how this goes. First things first, we're going to do movie in a minute and, uh, give us, uh, as, as a present to you, you get 60 whole seconds. Um, and a three count to give us a full plot synopsis of The Land Before Time. The first one, spoilers and all. Uh, are you ready? Yep, I'm totally ready. All right. Well, uh, here we go. In three, two, one, go. The movie starts with the sense of Pangea and climate change happening and all of the herds of dinosaurs at this time all heading off of this mythical kind of Valhalla called the Great Valley, kind of their own pilgrimage to try to save all their herds. During the same time, we see the birth of a lot of the characters as they are all children, uh, starting off with Littlefoot. Um, Eventually, he meets up with Sarah the Triceratops and they kind of find out that the herds don't get along with each other just because it's always just been that way. Eventually, there's the Great Earthshake 
shake that happens as well as an attack by the sharp toothed T-Rex that ends up uh, killing Littlefoot's mother as she saves Littlefoot and Sarah from that, but ends up uh, dying at the same time of uh, Littlefoot and all the other uh, main character children in the movie getting split off from their parents because the earth shake. He meets up with Sarah, Ducky, Spike, and Petrie, uh, in which they all travel forth to go to the Great Valley. They come across a lot of different uh, obstacles like lava, tar pits, the sharp tooth again. Um, And you're out of time, but you were so close. So close. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty much it. There's, but you were were pretty close, though. Um, And so there's, yeah, uh, kind of a a false Great Valley and all these other long necks come in and eat all all those leaves um, on their way. And then there's, yeah, kind of, some other milestones that Littlefoot was aware of on the way to the Great Valley, and he helped try to steer the group in the right direction, but um, had to kind of help and save them from other the other things you were mentioning. Um, and, you know, with the help of uh, kind of some divine intervention from Littlefoot's mom, uh, they do ultimately find their way to the Great Valley. And as the movie said, they all grew up together for generations and generations. Um, which spoilers for the rest of the movies, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's the that's the land before time. Just cut and dry. It's just there's a, there's a great valley. They got to get there eventually. They get there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, great job, Evan. We'll get uh, your opening statements right after this quick break, and we'll uh, hear all about why else you're here defending the land before time. So, uh, everybody, uh, we will be right back. The 14th National Film Festival for Talented Youth, or NIFTY, is currently accepting submissions. And we'd love to see your films featured at the festival this fall, and maybe even on the podcast. Submit your film today at nffty.org slash submit. And we're back, everybody. Welcome back to our Land Before Time episode, 7 Christopher's Birthday. And so, uh, age doesn't always equal expediency didn't quite make it through movie in a minute but we'll get his uh opening statements here evan why uh did you choose land before time for your birthday episode to defend um a couple reasons one um because uh i got this for my uh one of my birthdays when i was a kid like my third birthday got the land before time and all of the puppets from pizza hut um my father had struck a deal with one of them so we got all the puppets uh for that still have them um as well as I got like a big, um, what is it, a uh, little foot plushie um, mm-hmm. that I still have as well since I was a kid. Uh, so it, it was a big part of my life. And um, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of things I took away from the movie, um, especially with animation wise. Um, there's, to me, I feel that there's a, diff- there's a big difference because I feel like with The Land Before Time, it, uh, it's kind of like one of the last hand-drawn like painstakingly hand-drawn um movies of that time before everything kind of became very quick uh with you know tracing and copying and so forth like um everything was done with watercolors done with paint um which you can tell by going off of john uh not john don blue style um specifically because he has that same um interaction of then having your whole painted landscape um, with the watercolors and then having it um, much more darkened then to the effects that are going to be much more lightened for going forth. We also had um, the composer James Horner, who um, music in the movie is a 
massive, massive part to um, create connection with the characters as the musical the music hits at just the right moments um, for uh, being able to feel these uh, fits of emotion that we have, where you have a lot of points of this movie being a very could be somewhat of a dark movie um, is brought in to be a little bit better for children and much more palatable by having also a little more light movements um, and having these, uh, those actual music inclinations that we have from movies and TV for us to tell about how we're supposed to be feeling about those times. And there's a lot of really, really um, adult themes in this movie that I think as kids, as you go back and you watch, cause you remember as a kid about how much you enjoyed it. Um, you then be able to able to take on, um, which in the point you also see that several other movies, especially during the Disney Reson uh, Renaissance that happened much after this movie came out, they ended up kind of taken away from. Hmm. All right. Well, very good. That's a good, a good place to start. And so roasters, um, maybe, uh, maybe like the writing or the plot um, would be somewhere to start. I don't know who would like to go first. What plot? Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's very cut and dry. It's there's a place they need to go and they go there. And that's that that that's pretty much the movie. It feels definitely uh, a little thin. It really there really isn't much to it other than just like characters walking from point A to point B and just sort of like meeting each other and like having some interactions and then like, you know, some peril and they get where they're going and that's pretty much it. Like, I, I feel like, you know, I mean, I know that it was a different time, but like when you watch, I think we sort of gotten to this place where like we can have our kids movies with like actual character arcs and like things that happen to characters and like meaningful character conflict. And this just feels very thin. Yeah. And I think that the quest plot can be really effective. And generally the idea is that, you know, that you meet a lot of obstacles along the way. But for the most part, the only obstacle they meet is the same sharp tooth over and over again. And it's like, it's just not that interesting. Like you already defeated him once and then you have to defeat him again and again. And I just I wanted more from it. And, and it almost touched on like some interpersonal conflict between them. You learn at the very beginning that they're supposed to run with their own kind and that they like are being kept separate. And I think that could have been really interesting. And instead it just didn't really focus on that long enough for it to matter. Yeah. Besides Sarah, no other dinosaur really seems to have any issue like sticking with a member of a different kind at all. Yeah. Hmm. Evan thoughts on that. Well, those are very interesting points to bring up. Um, I would disagree very heartily with that. Um, you have, uh, Littlefoot who is uh, essentially, you're, you're, seeing these as all children, right? And typically within most of the animated films that we all kind of tend to think of, um, aside from a very few, we tend to see characters that are already kind of adults and we get to see the sense of a character. Most of these are all essentially still supposed to be children, which is again, in a children's movie, the sense of connection, uh, Littlefoot, you get to see him, um, take the blame for uh, the sense of his mother, he actually ends up going through a depressive session only then at one point being um, somewhat cheered up by uh, an old dinosaur named Ruder, who also Pat Hingle played as, um, who tells him about the great circle of life that the Lion King ended up stealing later. And you can see that within this movie that he is trying to follow um, 
by his own mother's um, ambitions on trying to get him for a better life on having him not have to starve out like a bunch of the other dinosaurs have. And for being a children, this is almost in the sense of like a quest for themselves of individuality. Sure. He runs into Sarah and Sarah's kind of, you know, rebolstered by her own father that says, you know, three horns don't play with long necks and, you know, um, he talks about it with his mother at one point and he said it's just always been. And at one point you do have little foot kind of push Ducky aside and saying like he doesn't talk with Big Mouse, but eventually brings it up because, you know, he feels bad because he also is kind of questioning this whole deal. Eventually throughout the whole thing, you can see that Sarah, who is causing um some of the problems because of her stubbornness and uh because of her pride ends up getting him lost at points because she had battled a sharp tooth because he didn't believe her so they all kind of took the wrong side for that and then he ends up also coming back to save them when he could have just continued on he ended up saving them in the end so within this you have a lot of loss tragedy imminent danger you have the sharp tooth of course um you have the spinosaurus that comes walking by at one point when they try to hide away you've got the landscape in itself which is constantly changing from the earth shake the tar pits the the lava pools you also have the pachyceopolis who the hard-headed dinosaurs who sarah almost who sarah almost gets killed by um before the rest of the group saves them as the giant tar monster um and Eventually, in the end, you also do get to see them have their comeuppance and having some kind of um, um, honoring from when they end up defeating the Sharptooth themselves as a couple of children. In fact, it's actually Sarah, the one who is the most prideful, who ends up being the one causing enough force to have that one rock come and fall on the actual um, Tyrannosaurus, killing him in the end, getting his just re- just rewards, and them actually then finding uh, the Great Valley that they've been searching for the entire time, following Littlefoot and his instructions and all of the hidden clues that his mother had brought on the way. So it is a journey in itself that you can kind of look at people taking away of um, going through a sense of depression and then refining themselves to keep pushing forward and having those people in your life that you can um, have to help lift you up to get to your next area, Great Valley, so forth. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, Ian, if you want to go next. Yeah, I think I touched upon this point during like the, the, the Goonies episode too, where like, you know, it's, it's possible to have like so much external danger that like it just becomes repetitive. And I feel like that's, that's definitely a flaw that this movie confronts is that like, yeah, it's like you mentioned, there's like the sharp tooth and then there's the tar pits and then there's the earth shake. And there's like, there's all of these like physical obstacles they have to overcome. And especially like by the end, I felt kind of numb to it because it, it, it just kept happening over and over again. And I just wish that the, like, I know that like Littlefoot and Sarah are supposed to be like the main interpersonal conflict. And, you know, they do they do function like as foils. And, you know, you've got like, yeah, Sarah's stubbornness and pride versus Littlefoot's like wanting everyone to work together. But it like that that I, I don't think there was enough of that to really carry the movie, especially when you have like, I don't know, three or four other characters who were like introduced into this traveling party. And the way that it sort of like happens is like they they join the party and then they have like one key personality trait and then they just like stop developing really like the the, the movie doesn't really so much like develop characters so much as it collects them and it just feels pretty thin yeah i mean spike literally doesn't even talk so he's pretty much just there and 
Petrie's whole plot line is that he learns to fly and Ducky is cute. And that's pretty much their contribution to the story. And I think that I I think that the plot could have worked if there was more character development and there's just not. I mean, it's a 70 minute movie. You could have moved a little more time in there to have some better character development. And I think that, you know, Littlefoot finding the Great Valley does not qualify and Sarah realizing that she's an instigator does not qualify because it all happens in like the last three minutes of the movie and ties it up in this tidy little bow. And it's just so weird to me that they rush that ending so much when there's clearly plenty of time to make a, you know, 90 minute movie. Yeah. Um, Evan. So within these characters, sure. They can definitely have much more character arc. Um, I won't deny that you, uh, you, you're right on that. Um, I will also say um, this is a, a children's movie, um, which within a lot of children's movies, there's not much character arc that you can have for during that time, as well as I feel that there was quite a bit of character arc that you could have, um, just from at least from my perceptions. Uh, I mean, like we said before, we, we've seen Littlefoot, um, you know, going on to complete his quest and having, you know, full belief in his mother um, after his own trials that he had gone through. Sarah with her pride and, um, you know, always trying to be the best and then being able to work together. You have Ducky, who was, um, you know, as as the big mouth, also very, uh, very much as the cohesive glue to help keep the group together. You um, which, you know, Ducky is very important when it comes to that entire thing, because, She's kind of like the the um, the manager between all of these different people. You've also got Petrie. Petrie is a flyer, but he's scared of heights. He's scared of flying. And as much as he tries, he always keeps failing until eventually he comes to the point where he goes to and saves Ducky and he uses his flying to save Ducky, um, you know, creating his own wall for that. And then with Spike, Spike himself uh, uh, for being silent as a silent character, uh, he does kind of show more of this kind of uh, like the big lovable heart kind of guy um, that everyone else just kind of falls after uh, as an orphan. He, um, he actually doesn't even have any parents compared to the rest of the, the group and then gets adopted by Ducky's parents in the end. And, uh, you know, he in himself has his own problems because he is a constant eater and he always just wants to eat and falls into that same trap of then causing himself to get into trouble. And at one point even gives up the chance of food to go ahead and save the rest of the crew when trying to push that rock on top of the sharp tooth. Hmm. Thoughts, Ian, Casey. I'm, I mean, I, th- I think as, as far as like, especially main characters go, like Littlefoot is very passive and, like, I feel as though it's it's hard to really feel for that sense of peril when, like, things just kind of keep happening to him. Like, there's that, there's that, you know, he, after his mom dies and he's left all alone and, like, you know, he meets up with Sarah and then she abandons him because he's a, he's a long neck. Like, he, he basically just, like, he's, like, hanging out by that pool and then, like, this cute little dinosaur just, like, happens to find him while he's just like moping about their depressed. I, I really feel like there, there really isn't a lot to him as the main character to like keep the story moving forward other than just like having that, 
that quest to, you know, get to the place so he doesn't die. Like, you know, in contrast, we have Sarah, who is very active, who, you know, is a go-getter. Like, she starts things, she gets things done, and she's kind of framed as the, you know, sort of like interpersonal conflict antagonist when she's way more interesting. I think it's just like, you know, the only reason that, like, we have Littlefoot there as the main character is just because, like, we need a simple and cute, sympathetic, you know, thing creature person for like children to project onto like he's he's innocent and he's kind of a blank slate and that just felt pretty thin and yeah it's almost like don bluth really wanted to make a movie like bambi which he said in a quote and then made a movie almost exactly like bambi and made the main character suffer a tragedy much like bambi and we already had Bambi, and Bambi is cuter, in my opinion. <laughs> this, movie, this movie is worse for Bambi being so cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, Evan, thoughts on any of that? Uh, I could definitely say that you can see as uh, him being passive and somewhat of a blank slate, um, because it's a part of it being a blank slate uh that kind of what gives the rest of the viewers to be able to clamp onto and being somewhat of a blank slate and then the passive forward makes it easier for the children to be able to connect to right as they uh once again they they they're still kind of learning who they are as again children and so being able to put themselves in that kind of blank slate being able to learn themselves in this particular manner so like when you have sarah who you say is much more interesting and has uh, you know her, uh, her 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 difficulties you also have sarah who is um shown to con- as we can see as at least an audience uh, to be a liar to be um a constant hothead that gets them into trouble constantly um to have a constant sense of pride in her own species and is unwilling to take help or give help to those who are in need where you have little foot yes who's passive um trying to be as the better heart of the person that you know the blank slate for people to latch themselves onto to be like okay i can see that person is in trouble it doesn't matter what species they are let me go ahead and give them a hand because i can to be able to help them maybe i can help them along in their own journey you have, um, you know, sure, we could say that it is, in the same sense, um, a similar storyline to Bambi because of the mother's death, sure. But in the same sense, you also have it, I think, a much more palatable version than you have for Bambi because after Bambi's mother's die, what do we really see left for Bambi? He's kind of left to grow on his own. Nobody else is there to take care of him. And it kind of has like a, like a, a really sorrow pit in your stomach in the sense of complete loneliness, that you have going for him. Whereas comparably in this movie, you have Littlefoot who still has, you know, the memories and the, the, the help of his mother, whether it be spiritually or mentally or so forth, that helps guide him, that helps, you know, keep him going during these extremely difficult times and push his way through as well as um, his loving grandparents at the end. You know that he gets that he he gets back to. So it's not like there's no goal aside from the 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 great valley that they're trying to get to. They're trying to get back to their loving families and be able to live and grow and and have an actual life comparably to you know much other movies that you could say whether it be animated or not. It typically is like some kind of treasure in the end that they end up giving up because they realize how much they connected together is is the better goal than the treasure at the end. 
I think that just ties back into my... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just, like, take issue with the idea that children can only relate to a blank slate character because I definitely remember relating to Sarah when I saw this movie and I related to her hot-headedness and her, you know, need for attention and how that could sometimes lead her to make poor decisions or lie. And ultimately, that, I think, teaches a better lesson than, like, be a blank person who follows orders like i don't i take issue i i I find that argument comes up a lot on this show that like boring main characters are there for children to project themselves onto and i completely disagree i also feel like it's just like a little insulting to your audience to like assume that they're not psychologically complex and that they can't Mm -hmm. have flaws and personalities and that you just need like the most simple possible character who like their only defining personality trait is just that they're really nice to people and you can basically not have to really overcome anything you don't really have to work for anything it'll just like you know you can just like sit and mope by a lake and your best friend will just find you you can you know (laughs) have this moment of despair but your dead parent will you know inexplicably show up in the clouds and just like you know shine a light on your goal yeah Hmm. evan but i mean what what other child movie doesn't have that kind of you know essential superpower when you have that kind of deal you know there's a constant sense of movies having that um driving force in which can make one character seem to have some kind of you know sense of personality but end up being a terrible one to to begin with and i mean when you come on like with you know littlefoot getting the the help from his mother there's several different movies that have some kind of uh, ex machina um going on and trying to give the help um to those or the several fairy tale stories that we can think of that you have this magical essence that they use to to help them along the way um you know this movie in itself is just these you know five child dinosaurs uh who really don't even know so much about their 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 own selves um you know, making their way through this extremely dangerous landscape that they're having to go through. Um, you know, they don't have any, you know, special superpowers, uh, you know, they, and they haven't even fully developed yet. So, you know, just thinking about, you know, this great massive migration of all of this, plus with the, the massive earth shake and all of the, I know that you say that it's boring, but to me, you know, going through tar pits and lava and all of that, uh, and at some points even trampling dinosaurs of your own kind, um, just so that way you could also possibly starve is all very real, um, you know, obstacles, uh, for being able to have to go through, um, things, ones that are uh, much more identifiable than those when you come to like, say superhero movies and so forth in the sense of imagination, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that fundamentally, I I just don't agree with that. Like, I, I found this movie to be an excruciating 70 minutes. And I remember liking it as a kid. So, I mean, to be fair, it probably worked for the target audience. But watching it now is like, how is this only an hour? I've watched a lot of terrible television with my little brothers for you know two episodes that didn't grate on me as much and I don't I can't even really put my finger on it but I think that it relates mostly back to that idea that me and Ian were touching on about like just 
expect more from your audience. Like believe that they can handle complex characters and, you know, inner conflict and like that there are better jokes than just naming things in this kind of rudimentary way, like earth shake and sharp tooth. Like we can handle, we can handle more than that, even as children. And it, it, it does like try to, you know, communicate this message of, you know, like, Hey, you know, being, being prejudiced is bad. All different types of people should, you know, be able to like live together and work together. And it, 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 it kind of undermines that in the way that it builds its world. It like, you know, it keeps preaching this message of like, you know, people shouldn't keep to their own and stay in their own lane. They should work together. But like, you know, at the same time, it also, you know, it mentions that like the sharp tooths, the sharp teeth, I don't know. There, so it, it defines like, you know, there's like the sharp teeth, sharp tooths and the leaf eaters, and they're both like dinosaurs. And yet, like, you know, the sharp tooth is treated as just like this fucking this this monster. And it's like it just really undermines that message of like inclusivity where it's like, you know, yeah. oh, you know, we can all live together as long as you don't like have sharp teeth. And as long as you're not a monster, like all these other species can talk to each other with the exception of Spike, which I think is supposed to be because he's a baby, but like, why can't they communicate with the sharp tooth? Why is he just like, you know, this, this savage non-communicable thing? Yeah, Evan, go ahead. And this will be the, this will be the last one before we unmask. Um, yes. So yes, this does fall into, uh, later traps, of what we have for uh, Sharptooth essentially just being kind of like a, a mindless monster in itself. Um, within a lot of the stuff as Don Bluth first started off with Disney, um, you can see that a lot of the sense of the monstrous, um, not smart, but like monster-like characters typically um, didn't talk and were just really more of just being ferocious. Um, I can understand how we come forth with um, why are we... Um, kind of pushing aside sharp tooth um, while we're supposed to have all the other um, species get along together. Uh, however, in the same sense, I would put forth that you have a bunch of uh, species dinosaurs that are all leaf eaters, as said, um, who, you know, eat the greens and so forth. And, you know, in the sense of migrational patterns, you know, you have you know, your Triceratops, your, Sega, your Stegosaurus, your Pachycephalus, uh, um, eating all of the ones down below as well as in the as in the river, whereas you have your Diplocuses, your Apatosauruses, Brontosaurus, and so forth, eating all of the ones at the top. So there is a, a very good circle within that. Compared now, you have Sharptooth, who is a meat eater, and yes, as a meat eater, that's their primary diet, and within the circle of life, that is things that are going to happen. But you have to realize, again, from that point, is it's the same of then saying, oh, we've got Charlie Manson, you know, we've got any uh, Ed Gein, we've got all these other serial killers. Um, I can't at the moment think of the one who was actually eating body parts, but um, we should give them a fair chance. You know, you have somebody who is... Uh, you have an uh, essentially a villain who is out to kill you and end your life. Uh, particularly, I think that, you know, whatever things that are going to come forth from that isn't going to work. And I think as we kind of discussed earlier before in some of the later um, sequels that came forth, they did up end up having a sharp tooth named Chomper uh, in the end for trying to create that sense of diversity, which also in my mind ended up kind of conflating it to an even worse level. Uh, for that but um i think that 
once again, um, within the sense of the sense of racism, speciesism, diversity that we have here, uh, for being a children's movie, I think it just brings forth the sense of a basic concept, something for them to have an ideal for, for then hopefully when we uh, are able to help change our educational system, uh, be able to show, be able to build upon that. Um, and not with a lot of the whitewash stuff that we have now, but um, better books and better um, concepts and ideas that we have in our educational system that we hope to get one day. All right. Uh, it's a strong, a strong ending. Uh, that being said, it's time to unmask. Let's go ahead and we'll talk about how we, uh, how we really feel. Evan, as a birthday boy, why don't you go first? love this movie like i said grew up with it um i've shown it to both my niece my nephew it's one of my it's one of the favorite ones whenever my uh, i have to babysit for any of my friends kids um they we thoroughly love and enjoy the movie um yeah and i think that a lot of you know my own life morals um have possibly been molded from some of the things in this movie mm-hmm. uh casey yeah, I didn't hate it as much as I said I did. I, it's definitely more of a nostalgia than something that I want to revisit, though. But I, I loved it as a kid. I had this movie on VHS. I watched it a bunch of times. Somehow never made it to the sequels, though. I don't know how. It just like wasn't a part of my repertoire. So I'm excited to hear about those in, in the post-show. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about them. Uh, Ian. I was surprised by how much I liked it. Um, oh. Yeah, like I, I still I still think that, you know, I mean, there was a different standard for like kids movies back in the day. And so, yes, like it is very thin. It doesn't assume a lot of like psychological complexity in its audience. But like as a as a work of like artistry, it's fucking beautiful. And I just like the the animation is gorgeous. And to hear that it was all done by hand, like it's 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 just astounding what they were able to do. And I was also just really surprised by like how committed this movie was to creating like a real sense of danger, endangerment to like these very, you know, cute, innocent child characters. I think the the juxtaposition between, you know, their innocence and like the jagged harshness of the world was really just like so well done. And yeah, I was like, I was really taken in by just the, the artistry and the atmosphere and the animation. And, you know, the, the, the characters are charming, even if they're a little bit thin. And uh, it's weird. Like my story was the opposite. We're like, I watched the sequels a lot when I was younger, but like, this was actually one of the later land before time movies that I discovered. And I remember not liking it because it contrasted <laughs> so much with like the, you know, bright musical sequels, but I'm really glad that uh, rewatch this as an adult and rediscover, you know, all the artistry in the movie. I liked it. Nice. And Chris. Um, I'm going to be the naysayer, I guess. Um, I'm mostly indifferent to this film. <laughs> um, and it's funny because that is not, it is almost exactly how I felt about it as a kid. I was like a weird, serious child. Um, so, I felt talked down to by the film when I was a kid, mostly because of the um, the language, like everything sharp tooth and mm-hmm. earth shake. And I just, I thought it was like silly and condescending. Um, and now I mostly just kind of find it dull, but I didn't have, I don't have the nostalgia to lean on because it wasn't a favorite when I was a kid. I will say that I loved the animation. Um, I thought especially like the background work was, you know, amazing. And I, I really miss hand-drawn animation and I will always appreciate that. Um, 
But I, I actually went back and watched uh, the Rite of Spring segment of Fantasia right after I watched this. <laughs> nice. Um, because it just made me want to watch that more. Um, so it's, I don't hate it, but I just, yeah, I'm pretty indifferent to it myself. Well, uh, let me, th- I don't think I've, I haven't watched this in a long, long time. Um, like most of us, but, um, but, but yeah, it all kind of like the nostalgia for it all kind of came rushing back as soon as I put it back on. And, um, and I think it holds, I think it really holds up actually. I think that, um, there's a lot of like events in the movies that are designed to like, or event in this movie that's designed to keep your attention. Like there's just, you know, the, the constant peril we were kind of talking about, but I think that it also, the more everyone was talking about it, the more I was thinking about it, I think that it does actually have some really um, emotional complexity. uh, And that's kind of what I think is it's real kind of value to, you know, a, a kid watching it for the first time or the second time or whatever, or whenever, however many times. Because, um, uh, and, and this was something that I didn't really know how to put into words after watching it, but I went and watched a, a review that was talking about how the, the movie kind of like confronts these really difficult, um, like, emo- like things that people have to deal with emotionally, like just living in a, in a dangerous world and experiencing loss and grief and depression. And, um, and that's all kind of, you know, all the characters have to deal with this changing world. That's dangerous at every turn, but Littlefoot kind of goes through all these just really sad, you know, life events right away. Um, and then you rewatch it as an adult and you actually like, you, you have more context to really grapple with those emotions where like, I don't know. It's, I think it's, we can talk more about this on the extended play, but I think that it's interesting and and valuable to introduce those feelings, even if kids haven't experienced them firsthand yet. So that when they do experience them, it's like, there's some kind of foundation for feeling that way before they get there. And that's, uh, I mean, I think that that is kind of one of, we were talking about how Bambi does it too, but like, I think that that's kind of one of the big great things about this movie is that it does have that. And, um, and so I like it. I like the movie. I think it's good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we can, we, and we can talk more about that on the, on the extended play on the post show, um, which, uh, we're going to record right after this, everybody, which is our, uh, extra content after show. That's just for our Patreon supporters. So if you want to get in on that, head over to patreon.com slash 24 flames pod and we'll, uh, appreciate that support and there's a whole bunch of other good stuff over there too um if you've got thoughts about the land before time you want to tell us you can email us at 24flamespod at gmail.com you can find us on social media at 24flamespod and uh wherever wherever you listen to podcasts go leave a review a rating um feedback for the show whether that's you know your spotify your apple podcasts your your good pods whatever um so we can uh help make the show better and more people can find it it uh, does us does us a, a real big solid. It's it's what Evan wants for his birthday. I know that much. Um, yes, but, please do that. Yeah, see, you heard him. 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, everybody, uh, thanks so much for listening. This episode of 24 Flames Per Second is produced and hosted by me, Robert Spiewak, co-hosted by Chris Pepper Hambrick. The panels this week, the roasters, were Casey Romney and Coleman, and on the defense, the birthday boy himself, Evan Christopher. And uh, our show music was composed and performed by Rob Joins and Will Paulson. And uh, extra special thanks to our network, Party Fish Media, um, which uh, is produced by Will Paulson, Quasi Phillips, and me. And so, yeah, Evan, um, do you have any parting uh, words, wisdoms from your now one year older brain to before we bid farewell for this episode? Um, keep <laughs> rocking on. Nice. <laughs> that's a choice everyone we should make every day is to keep rocking on. yep um but uh but yeah everybody thank you uh thanks so much for listening um next week on the show we are doing i'm just checking the list one more time before i know aha more more ancient stuff um <laughs> next week we're doing atlantis the lost empire it's coming back for that um just more animation more ancient good stuff um so uh yeah everybody we'll uh, we'll catch you on that episode next week thanks so much for listening we'll talk to you then bye bye, bye. 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 live your story faith hope and glory hold to the truth in your heart okay bye Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.